I hope everybody is well rested. Yes, can I get a show of hands? Did you enjoy your extra hour of sleep? It's probably like the only day, like Sunday, like people are awake, right? And it's not just because of the coffee. I'm not saying don't drink the coffee. I'm just saying that it's nice to be able to sleep that a little, little bit. But um, anyway, by next week, you'll be a forgetting it, forgotten it anyway. So, um, so anyway, welcome. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. If this is your first time with us, um, if you've been with us before, just a special welcome. Um, those of you guys online as well, if you're tuning in and checking things out, we are glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here, especially as we start off uh, November and uh, this, this nice fall weather that we've been having. And, um, and so I wanted to start off with a question. I, over the series that we were talking like a child, um, each week I've been starting off with a little question that we've been reminiscing a little bit, a little nostalgia action happening, thinking about our childhoods and different kinds of situations and things. I want to start off with a question today that could be a challenge for some of us, but I dare say probably not if you dig a little deep. But what is an activity or a game that you enjoyed playing as a child? So think about those playground days, recess, you know, maybe getting together with the neighborhood kids if that was where you live. But what's an activity or a game that you enjoyed playing as a child? Um, just take a couple, if people wouldn't mind just shouting out a couple of things that maybe come to mind. Freeze tag, yes. Any of the tags, like there's multiple tags. There's like throwing thing tag, there's freeze tag, there, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. There's other tags, yeah, they're all, you freeze and then you have to get unfrozen, and all that stuff. Anybody else? Oh, seven up, seven up. Yeah, we had that, I remember like if the teacher in our classroom was like waiting for, you know, had like 10 minutes left, like, okay, seven, we're playing seven up, right? All heads down, like great game, right? You just put the thumb up and take care of business. You know, over here? Oh, what was that, Dolores? Sardines. Okay, any youth group reminiscing where you basically have a group of kids and you hide and then, right, one person finds, one person hides and then you hide with them when you find them. And then you're like packed like sardines in a little enclosed place, right? No personal space there. Anyway, we were going to say Bob. Bombardment. Oh, yeah, with the foam balls and you just take basketballs. Oh my, I don't, I, I don't think they play that version these days anymore. Probably some lawsuits coming out, right? Right, that's those, those like the scars in your back and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I was thinking about that, some of like the playground games, um, like we used to play dodgeball, yeah, and, and, and even like we have one on the, the church playground, one of those like dome things, and you make that like base, and you'd have to play all sorts of stuff. Um, I remember we also, of course, played like soccer, at recess, and I remember when, um, I think it was like first or second grade, of course, that was like the boys' game. That was the boys' game, right? So all the girls, like, you know, but then there were a couple of us that were like, no, we're going to go play soccer, and we went and we were playing, and because, of course, you remember this, girls rule, boys drool. It's true, right? That, that was true then and true now. Well, I don't know about that. But um, yeah, just for thinking about those things that you do. But, but I want to ask you a second question. When was the last time recently that you played? Just thinking, in, when was the last time you played? Just for fun. Just did something for fun, for the heck of it. Like, not to get something out or to make things or just, just, just for fun. Um, 
you know what's interesting about that question? I don't know if anything comes to the surface, but, but when I've asked adults that question, the first thing that happens is they want clarifications. What is play? What do you mean specifically by play? There's questions in response, um, like, does this classify as play? Like, if I'm out, like, raking leaves, and then, like, I decide the dog jumps in, and is that playing? I don't know, right? That, that we, a lot of times we struggle with it. Maybe you've just, like, you know, just being asked that question, um, you struggle with it. Um, but what's interesting is that kids don't struggle. If you ask them, when was the last time that they played? Um, they will tell you, like, probably in about 10 seconds, exactly. And if it happens, like, during the school day, you know, you ask, what, is the best, what was the best part of your day, Johnny? What do they usually respond? Lunch or recess, right? Lunch or recess, the times that you played. Um, because kids make up games, you know, even in activities, say, in the summertime, like in a swimming pool. Like, the swimming pool is not just a swimming pool. It's like an ocean, and there's sharks there, and you might get eaten alive, and you got to, uh, you know, it's a shark tank, and you're going along. Um, you know, you can, you don't even need cups, and you can have a tea party with kids, right? You can pretend to eat different things, and, like, their imaginations just run wild. No kid has to ask for clarifications on what is play. <laughs> but we do, right? Only adults are unsure, um, and, and even though all of us were kids once, and we can remember those times when play was a very natural thing, something we did freely. Um, but so you might ask the question, like, so why are we talking about play and playfulness and, and playground games? Well, in this series, Like a Child, we've been looking at, uh, at what kids can teach us about following Jesus and what kids can teach us about the kingdom of God, about our relationship with God. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at a story in Matthew 18, kind of repeating the story um, of when Jesus was uh, questioned by the disciples about the, who was going to be greatest in God's kingdom. And, and, and also, it's a story, it's interesting, it's also found in the Gospel of Luke, believe it or not. Um, it's a little bit different, differently framed here, and we have different stories sometimes that are told in multiple Gospel accounts. Um, but the disciples are basically are told in this version that they're trying to stop children from coming up to Jesus. But Jesus would have nothing of it. So if we go to Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, we see this Luke's version of either the same story or a similar situation. So people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So today, today we're going to look at specifically what kids can teach us about the kingdom of God and how play is a part of it. Play is a part of the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, I don't know your church background, your religious background, um, but even talking about play like in church, it may be a very surprising thing to you. Because for many of us, like play seems like a very, very unlikely thing, a very a surprising candidate for anything that's considered holy or religious or even anything that's associated with God. Um, you know, for many people, it looks like this, Right? The angry church people, or the like, frowny face, right? You should be serious in church. You shouldn't laugh in church. 
You know, that, that when we even use the word church, you know, maybe your background, it brings to mind some like very stiff liturgies and, and procedures, um, maybe suits and ties, um, maybe some very, very serious discussions of eternal consequences. Uh, maybe you've had angry preachers and nobody sits in the front row even to this day because they're afraid of the hellfire and brimstone that might be pouring out from up front, right? It's not a lot of things to smile about. Um, or maybe just in church experience, like, shh, don't talk, shh, don't smile, shh, just be unhappy. <laughs> um, and in, in some traditions, too, and maybe this is your experience, um, maybe you went to church and maybe you had a hard time even going back because for you, church always felt like a funeral even when it wasn't, that everybody was just somber, you showed up, you left, don't you dare smile, do anything, or talk. Um, and, and for many of us, and I would say like even, even my experience, my early church experience growing up, you know, I, I never really heard a word about God being involved in, in laughter or joking or that anything associated with God could ever be done in fun. Um, you know, for me, Jesus was always this very serious dude, very serious, never smiled, right? And he was never going to goof off with his disciples, just going to have this very stern look on his face. And a lot of times what happens is we get caught up in what I call a sacred-secular divide of life, meaning that, that we have like our, our church world, our religious practices, all these things that we do to grow close to God and learn about God, and they're all super serious. And that's, there's a disconnect in our minds from the rest of life. That, oh, well, the other stuff is kind of like unholy, like once again, you group the joy, the smiling, the happiness, the laughter, the jokes, all that kind of stuff is in the, the secular realm that, oh, well, that's not holy. Like if you're holy, you have to be, uh, you have to be serious and you cannot have fun. Um, and what happens is that in our minds, the only things that really become practices of the Christian faith are things like good things, like Sunday morning worship, mission trips, Bible studies. But somehow the disconnect happens. We don't see how our faith can be woven into our passions and our gifts and our hobbies and the things that we enjoy and how God can use them and how this sacred-secular divide actually doesn't exist. That all of it is God's. And all of it can be used for his kingdom. Because play, play is a really, it's a fundamental part of life. It's first reflected in childhood. And, and I would dare say it's probably more spiritual and more holy than you think. Because you go to the Bible, the Bible's really chock full of references to play. Chock full of it. Um, if you go to the book of Proverbs, there's several Proverbs that, that describe kind of playfulness. In Proverbs, there's uh, in chapter 8 of Proverbs, which describes basically this characterization um, of lady wisdom, this illustration of wisdom. Playing with God in the act of creation. And it says this, I was his delight but day by day, playing before him all the while, playing on the surface of the earth. And I found delight in the sons of men. This, this idea of play happening in the act of creation. Um, Psalm 104 describes uh, the sea creatures, the Leviathan, the, basically these, these giant sea creatures. And, you know, people, scientists are really still discovering lots of sea creatures today. But describing the sea creatures in Psalm 104 as how God made them specifically to, you know, to, to do something. And that is, the word that's used often in the Bible is frolic. To frolic! The sea creatures frolic! They're made to frolic! You know, when is the last time you frolicked, Right? 
That's a good question. Ask yourself that. Ask your spouse that. But think, but think about that. So God is playful. God is playful. Um, and I would dare say to this, probably God was playful when he instructed Abraham to name his son Isaac because the name Isaac means let him laugh. Let him laugh. So embedded in Isaac's name, the whole Abraham-Isaac story and, and everything, is basically this idea of let him laugh. That's integral. I mean, and, and, and how possibly can Jesus tell his disciples to become like children if he doesn't value play? It's a part of what it means to be a child. And I think the first thing we have to recognize here is that play reflects the character of God. Play reflects the very character of God. I mean, and any Sunday school class you go to, you might, you know, talk about the characteristics, the traits of God. And, and if you ask, it's usually like a list of like big words, the omni words. Have you ever heard these like omniscience, omnipresence? Then there's like holiness and transcendence, righteousness. I have yet to hear somebody say playfulness. Um, there's no mention of God enjoying Yahtzee or a good game of hockey or enjoying a football match, right? Any of those kinds of things. There's no mention of that. But yet, we see that demonstrated in the very character of God, that playfulness should be included in that list. From the very beginning in Scripture, we see all the way in Genesis, God is doing some serious hard work in the creation of the universe, shaping the world in the, in the poems that are at the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, but even that, what's demonstrated is very playful work. It seems like God's enjoying himself when he's making the world. Imagine that. There's creativity happening. You know, and God enjoys it, I see, reflected over and over and over again on the days that are listed of, of creation and the things that he made. At the end of every one, it's repeated this one phrase. So, for example, in Genesis 1.31, God saw all he had made, and it was, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Good. Very good. God's like, pat on the back there, right, buddy? Like, this is very good. Like, I'm enjoying this. This is great. But God's not enjoying it simply because it's productive or it's efficient or it's successful. God creates to enjoy. The purpose of creation is delight and joy for God. Play's purpose is to simply enjoy it, not for anything it does or what it achieves or to make money or to even get something back at all. Um, there, there's a scene in, in one of my favorite story, childhood stories um, C.S. Lewis's uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Has anybody ever read the book maybe years ago? Maybe you saw the movie, right? Well, anyway, um, there's a, it's a story of C.S. Lewis. I highly recommend it, by the way. You can read it as an adult. Um, and C.S. Lewis, he's a great thinker. Um, he's an apologist. He, talks, he defends the Christian faith. He came to faith um, later in life as well. Um, and he wrote this story. It's a great children's story, but also has a deeper meaning where it really reflects the story of Jesus, where Jesus is in the character of Aslan, the lion, in this story. And, um, and so you can kind of read it in both ways, just as the story it is, but you can also see the allegory uh, for Jesus underneath. Well, there's this scene in that story where um, it's towards the end of the book where, where Aslan the lion, um, Aslan the lion, he's just come back to life. So once again, the parallel with Jesus, he's come back to life after being killed by the wicked white witch. She's the bad guy in the story, the bad person in the story. And so he's just come back to life after he was killed by the white witch. 
And so while this, this resurrection of Aslan, the resurrection of Aslan, it foreshadows a really happy ending, so draw the parallel here, even so, even though he's been resurrected, Narnia, which is the, the country that this exists in, is still in danger. And, and not only in danger, but war is happening. And Aslan's faithful followers, they're dying one by one. And basically, the witch is certain that she has still triumphed over her enemy, Aslan. And so you draw the parallel, you know, where kind of we are. Like, he's come, he's been resurrected, but now what? It looks like evil's winning, right? It looks awful. And in this dire moment in the story, Aslan's been resurrected. It still looks hopeless. This dire moment, Aslan takes a break from the solemn business of world saving to play a rousing game of, you know what, tag. He plays tag. He says, oh, children, he shouts to the kids who have witnessed his resurrection. He says, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh, children, catch me if you can. And there he goes, leading them on an exhilarating, joy-filled chase through the hills until they finally collapse, and this is C.S. Lewis's words, in a happy, laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. It was such a romp, Lewis writes, as no one had ever experienced except in Narnia. Just pause there. Like, why did he include that, right? They should be going to war and beating the bad guy. Like, but there's this, this playfulness that happens here. It seems almost out of place or crazy. But dare I say, I think it's true. The power of play is often an antidote to despair. To play is to trust that no matter what, all shall be well, that he's got it. That, that the power of play is to resist fear. And I think it's also, also why, if you've ever worked with any kind of like aid organization or mission group, um, that, that's why aid workers often bring toys and instruments into war zones, is to do exactly that, to play. You know, from a spiritual perspective, for us who, who have placed our faith in Christ, from a spiritual perspective, play is to believe that the ending will be a happy one, no matter what. That we can bravely, in the midst of that, enjoy and experience life because we know what the ending is going to be. And so, I don't know what you think what God is like, but um, imagine this. Imagine, maybe you've never done this before, imagine who God, a God who likes to have fun. A God who likes to have fun, a wild God who's not afraid of the power of joy and takes business, takes the serious business of play and invites me invites you, a child made in God's image, to reflect that back as a part of who God is. And when we do that, on a spiritual level, when we do that, we can say, truly, we can relax because he's got it. We know the ending to the story, and so we can fully enjoy what's in front of us. And you know who also says this in Scripture? Um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author there is trying to look at what a meaningful looks like. I highly recommend reading the entire, um, the entire scripture there. But the author is looking at what a meaningful life looks like. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, this is what I have observed to be good. That it's, an that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the, during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. 
See, it's a gift from God. Play is a gift from God, when we can see it as a gift from God. And of course, there's a warning here too, not to trust just in material things. And that's what the rest of Ecclesiastes kind of unwraps. It very easily can get caught up in just the things of life. But it's really about the perspective, right? It's saying that's a good thing to enjoy your life. It's a good thing. Enjoy being alive. See it as a gift from God. So, so do you? Do you see your life as a gift? Something that you didn't earn or that you deserve, but that every day is a gift. And of course, like, you know, it's true. You and I, we can't escape hard work. We can't escape hard work, but even in that, God wants joy. Do you know that God wants you to enjoy your job? It's true. God wants you to enjoy the work that you have to do outside. God wants you to enjoy being able to help your neighbor because you have the means to do it. And, and in Ecclesiastes, the point of work is to enjoy what's been created by it. Um, what, what's interesting, too, is if you look up the definition of play, if you look up the definition of play, one interesting definition that I came across of, um, for play is that it's a way to connect with our being by doing. Think about that. It's a way to connect with our very being by doing. So, so I want to ask you, kind of unpack what that is. Do you remember a moment? Do you remember a moment where you were so engaged with your full being that you lost time? And you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's whatever. Like, you were so engaged in doing something, creating something, working on something, uh, having fun, that you totally lost track of time. You know, a moment where your motivation, your curiosity, your passion all kind of aligned in that. that that's play. See, play is not a distraction from reality. It's digging deep into who we are and who we were created to be. I mean, if you watch a child play for more than five minutes, you, you'll see that what I'm saying here is true. Like, isn't it true that, like, you can see a, a kid, like, say that they're, they're playing. Maybe they're making rules for a new game, right? And you're trying to make sense of the rules as the adult, like, trying to figure out what's going on. But they're so engrossed in it. Or, or maybe they, they enjoy art, and they're so busy, like, painting and putting something together that you try to tap on, like, it's dinner time, or with the go-see grandma, and you're like, no, Right? Like, that's when the blow-up happens. Like, no, don't take me away from that, right? That they're so engrossed in play, and the engrossed in their being by doing. And not only that, though, is that, that play often helps us to discover what the world is like and who God created you to be. Um, do you believe there is actually, get this, there is actually a National Institute of Play? Wouldn't that be cool to work there? Or like to tell people you work there, right? Like, what do you do? You know, you're meeting somebody for the first time. Like, what do you do? Well, I work at the National Institute of Play. Like, ooh, right? That, tell me more about that. But um, they've done lots of research, actually, on, on play. And, um, and there's been some research that's done um, that has come up with, with these things called play personalities. Um, I think we have a, a picture here. And you can actually, you can Google um, National Institute of Play, Play Personalities, and there's, there's a really fun quiz. I think we'll post it on social media this week that you can take to discover what your play personality is. And most of the time, you can kind of guess it. Like, like, think back, think back. We did this as a staff. Think back to childhood. Um, and think, like, what were the things or activities that, that you enjoyed most, once again, that you, that you got lost in? You know, were you the director, kind of like making things possible? Were you the explorer, like you enjoyed outside and going different places? And, you know, were you a competitor? Do you like to tell stories, creator? Um, I, I took this and I told, uh, found out that I was the kinesthete. 
Um, believe it or not, you know, I like to like athletics and that kind of thing, but like moving my body and doing active things. And we have like a primary way that we play, and that's where we get lost. And it's good to find out what that is, even as an adult, because you can go back there. And it's amazing what happens when you reconnect with that part of that childhood. And even if your childhood was really, really crummy, the truth is that the research shows like this still exists, that you found yourself in the midst of play, and it helps shape what you believe and how you understand the world and where you find great joy to re-identify that as something that is God-given and is a gift from God. But of course, as adults, right, aren't we told or aren't we taught to feel guilty when we play? Right? You should be doing more work, and you should be doing something more productive. You know, I wrestled with this. Um, when I was in seminary and I was living in a, um, northern Virginia, I had some roommates that we rented a townhouse, and it was kind of in a cul-de-sac. My next-door neighbors was a house full of kids. Um, it was a family with some, some kids, probably about in their like, early elementary. And, um, and when they saw me and my friends move into this um, townhouse, probably... A day and a, not even a day and a half after, like you know, my my moving van left and I was unpacking and all was knock knock knock, knock 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 and I'm like, oh, who is it? Like they get a delivery, whatever. Here it's these small children. Like I had to like look out the door, like where? Who's? Oh, oh hi, right? And, and these kids, these three kids with like bright eyes, they're like, do you want to come and play with us? And I was like, uh, like, it's never happened before, you know, I'm an adult, like, I'm you know, in my 20s, and I'm like, uh, yeah, um, okay, and they're like, hey, what's your name? Like, and they, like, grab me by the hand, and, like, pretty soon before I know, I'm out in the cul-de-sac, and they had this, like, ball game, they're like, it's like beat the ball, or some freeze tag thing, and probably very dangerous, because it was, yeah, it was like a basketball, and they're, like, bouncing, and like, here, touch it, and then hit it, right, and don't hit so-and-so's car, because they got really mad last time, and, and before I know it, we're like running around, and, and then this happened like every single day. And of course, like I'm working at a church, I'm trying to study, and there were times like I had my books out, and all of a sudden I get the knock, 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 and I'm like, oh Lord, help me. Like I just can't play today. I have serious, serious stuff to do. But right, and, and that, that happens a lot in our lives that we feel like we should be doing something productive, that play isn't. But what if we saw it as failing to use a God given gift? Not to say we put off our tasks and our to-do lists, but that we see it just as important. You know, that, that it's, it's so important to use. There's an um, author by the name of Sarah Maitland. She wrote a book called Big en- A Big Enough God. And she says this. She says, every old-fashioned sin list should include the failure to have fun. Can I get an amen? Right? Every, old, every sin list should include a failure to have fun. Like, what if we saw it like that? Wouldn't it completely change the way that you practice and live out your faith if you saw play, just as important as the things that you need to do. But I think it's also important, too, just as relating to my story, my little friends in Virginia, is that it's also, play is important because it's also designed to be shared with others. It's designed to be shared with others. Even things that if you do solitary for play, maybe writing music or art or, or, or dance, you know, usually you want to tell somebody about it at least or share it. Uh, You know, you want to even tell God about it and thank him for that ability or that inspiration that you received. Um, The Apostle Paul, um, in his letter to the Romans, when he writes to the Roman church, he gives them some instructions for living together. And in this, in, in Romans 12, he says this, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. See, see, often the church comes in the ministry, which we should, 
of it focusing on the weeping part. Of course, we need to rally around people and encourage them and support them. But we can't forget the first part either. We can't forget or downplay the rejoice part of sharing the joy. God created people to share with God, to share with one another. And, and isn't that the best thing? I don't know about you, but when you have good news to share, isn't like the best feeling? Like you, you can't wait to tell the people in your life. Like you, you, you need to share it with them. And that's what kids do naturally, don't they? You know, they try things for the first time. There's the wonder of the world, or maybe they come home from school or preschool, and like they can't wait to tell you about the thing that they did the first time. And they do it because, not because it's efficient and purposeful, but that because you can't help it. You can't help it. But, but I think it's also a bit broader than that. We share not just to kind of relieve that, that feeling that we have and that we want others to be a part, we want to be able to play together, but even think broader. I want you to think of play as well as part of the mission of God, of the mission of God. I mean, have you ever thought, have you ever thought how your passions and hobbies could be used to build God's kingdom? We could be used to share hope with others, could be shared, to, could be shared in, with others as a, as a connecting point to communicate God's grace or the hope of Jesus. You know, have you ever thought about those things? Um, and some of you know this, some of the work that I do with this ministry called Fresh Expressions um, has people that are doing just that, taking things like CrossFit, taking woodworking, taking gifts and, and graces and knitting, believe it or not, and gaming, and using those ways of play to connect with people that don't know Jesus, but doing so on their turf in a way that they can understand, connecting with their gifts and abilities. Um, you, you guys might know um, my friend Melanie. Um, she was actually uh, um, uh, attended here uh, a number of years ago, and now she's a pastor down in, um, in Maryland. And um, she just she started about a year or so ago, and um, we had been talking. We're both pastors, of course, so Pat, we always have little pastor talks. And we've been talking about ways, you know, connecting in the community, but also like self-care and doing things to keep yourself strong in ministry. And we were talking just about some of her interests. And I said, well, Melody, like, what is something that you would do, like to do? Like some hobby? She's like, I'm not really sure. I don't really have a lot of hobbies. Well, would you believe it that she connected with a CrossFit gym in Maryland? And, and she says, I've never done CrossFit before. I was scared to death. And now here we are like a little over a year later. She's been telling me the stories of people that she's met and invited over and connected. And she feels stronger. And she's just working along this. She's like, amazing what God does when you allow him to take you out of your comfort zone. So, so what, how could God use your choice of play to connect with others, to build his kingdom? You know, and maybe that's for you. Maybe the whole point of this message is maybe you need a hobby. Maybe you need to go back to your childhood, to those play, those, those, uh, play areas, and, and just to say, what is, it, what is something that I could begin to do? And, and what is something that you wanted to do maybe as a kid that you never did? You know, could you make space in your life to do that? Because I'll be the first to say it's never too late to try something new. What could God do? Well, I think this kind of sum it up here, friends, is that it's okay to play. And dare I say, it's a spiritual thing to play. Who's like a child, it's okay to play. And I hope that this is freeing. I hope that this is good news for you, that life is more than meeting goals or productivity, because the play of children shows us that they simply find delight in what is. We think often as adults that we grow out of it, it's something only little kids should do, or if you're playing with children or babysitting, 
that adults stop and then don't really know what to say when they're asked, when was the last time that you played? But what if we saw it as a reflection of God, a gift that's meant to be shared with others? And I also have to say this, that sometimes, too, in life, we just take ourselves way too seriously. See, kids can teach us, invite us, that, that it, maybe you're a, a child here, maybe you're a teenager who's, who's listening here. You know, the, the draw is going to be to lose that sense of play, but don't lose it. And adults, don't feel guilty about doing it. Because that's what it offers us, to be more fully human, to be fully alive. To remember that God shaped the world with play in mind. That it's meant, that we are meant to enjoy him and enjoy what's around us. Because Jesus says it like this. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.